0: Anybody say you that I miss practice? I made my mistakes. If, if a coach say I miss practice, whatever it is, it's not right on the telephone.
1: And y'all hear it, then that's dead.
2: Don't you feel like that creates
1: uh, tension between East and West? Yeah, I can't read it. There's no there's no words on it. People have got to know whether or not they're president's a crook. There's no words there. Well, I'm not a crook. What does that mean? To play us out? I mean, I might have missed one friend. What is this I don't know what that means, to play us out. What does that mean? Not a game,
2: not a game, not a game.
1: we talking about. Hey, everybody. Uh, this is another episode of Same Old Clippers. Uh, the Clippers did lose last night to the Chicago Bulls. Uh, so we're running an episode, uh, as always, after a Clippers loss. I'm here, as always, with uh, Lewis. How are you doing, Lewis?
0: yeah what's up what's up, everybody?
1: <laughs> um now yeah, I'm doing okay as well. you know it's the start of a work week, which is not great, but uh, we do have our first guest ever, uh Sean Hyken of Bleacher Report, who uh doesn't currently cover much bulls but uh has covered the bulls beat in the past, so uh, we thought it would be a very opportune time for our first guest. How are you doing?
2: Am I really your first guest ever on the show?
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is, our, this is our fourth episode.
2: Oh, so this is so it's not like you guys have been doing this for a year and then you. So that makes me feel a little bit less special now.
0: Well, it's pretty special. I mean, we're going to be doing it for the next, you know, ten to fifteen years. So, I mean, the contract it's, it's, already locked in. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's a big deal, man. It's a big deal. Well, I'm honored. And you were our first choice. Just well do anybody else.
2: I'm glad. I'm glad I was your first choice and not. Uh, <laughs> Big Corbs, Wilms. Just let it be known, I beat all of them out. Yeah, yeah, we
0: will. And uh, you, I remember you saying that you were a, a recovering Chicago Bulls beat writer. It, I was
2: on that beat for four years.
0: Is, is the team in a better place now than they were then, or are they in a, or even are they in a, a worse position uh, now than they were when you were on the beat, or is it just the same old?
2: Well, my last year on the beat. My last full season was the three alphas year with Butler, Rondo, and Wade. And, I mean, they made the playoffs that year, and they maybe would have beaten the Celtics in the first round as the eighth seed if Rondo hadn't uh, gotten hurt. But that team was still a disaster. And then they traded Jimmy Butler uh, that offseason, started the rebuild, and honestly, I mean (laughs) – you know, there there were reasons to be optimistic at different points of the rebuild, but because you know last year it looked like Markkinen might be making a leap, and then you know once they got on Porter, they looked pretty good for a few games before they shut everybody down, and then I thought they had a pretty good off season on paper with signing Thaddeus Young and Tomas Satoransky, and it just it just hasn't looked good. I don't know what with the current regime and the current you know the current you know team as it is, I don't really see any re- reason to think that it's going to get better. Well, that's the thing, because I look at this team.
0: I I think roster-wise, it would be difficult to argue that they're not in a better position now than they were in the three alphas year, uh, just because of how it projects uh, to be in the long term. But at what point would? At what point do you look at these young players and say, you know, unless these guys get a change of scenery, you know, this is their careers and their ability to develop as players, like on the line, and so. Wendell Carter, a very promising player, but if he's stuck in the situation, you know, let's say nothing changes in five years, like what reason is there to believe that he'll ever become the player that people thought he was going to be?
2: Well, I mean, I think a lot of this, also, it, it comes down to, you know, maybe some of these young guys so far haven't been what we thought they were. You know, Zach Levine going into year six. You know, he he looked he was pretty good last year, you know, in his first full year back from the ACL that he missed most of his first season with the Bulls uh, recovering from. And, you know, he was talking about, you know, wanting to be an all-star this year, and I think there was a lot of thought that uh, maybe he was going to make the leap and really become like a number one scoring option on a playoff team. And then Lowry Markkinen is the other guy where, you know, he, he's been better lately, but, th- you know, he, he's a guy that people thought, you know, he was putting up 20 and 10 for a stretch last season. Uh and, and it was, and you know, maybe this is the year that he's going to be able to do that consistently and become like an all-star level guy. Like it's it just, not, just none of it has happened. Wendell Carter, who you mentioned, I think he's definitely the most promising guy on the team. He's their best player at this point, but even him, like they're not using him the way maybe he should be used. They're just having him post up a bunch, and he, you know, maybe could be stepping out and shooting more from the outside because he has that skill. He just hasn't been doing that. And you know, the Jim Boylan thing, like, look, I'm, I'm. I like Jim personally. You know, I covered him a little. I, I was, was still the coach when I was on the Bulls beat, but he was Hoyberg's lead assistant, and I always liked him personally. I still like him personally, and I was willing to give him the benefit of the doubt that maybe he's going to be able to grow into this role as an NBA head coach and, you know, guys are going to buy in. At this point, like, that's not going to happen. And the, and the interviews that uh, John Paxson gave with various local media outlets yesterday saying that they fully believe in, in Boylan and – that, you know, they're not going to make any changes. That just, that, that just to me, shows just how out of touch the, the front office is and the organization is with the way that the team is and is going to stay as long as, you know, they keep operating the way that they do. Flom, what are your thoughts on this? I'm looking
0: at Zach Levine's stats, and it's like his numbers are – I mean, he's, he's always going to be a guy whose numbers look better than he is on the court because he's so offensively minded. But, I mean, he's shooting 41% from three. Like, he's putting up pretty – Good shooting numbers. Um, you know he's come up big in moments. Last night he was
1: really good down the stretch against the Clippers. From so, like, how do you see how do you see this playing out? Yeah, I mean, I've never been a huge Zach Levine fan, but I also have you know very specific basketball tastes and preferences, and Zach Levine is you know <laughs> about the furthest thing from what I like in a basketball player. Um, you don't like guys who can dunk. <laughs> No, you know, I prefer my Derek Walton juniors to, uh, you know, maybe, maybe can get up to nine feet. There um, we go. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, 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 it's people who play more like me, you know, which is groundbound. bound. Um, ground bound and preferably under six feet. Uh, but, no, I mean, I think Levine is good. I mean, I think there's a lot of people who go too far in one direction or the other with him. Like, I think a lot of people who call him, like, trash or negative player or whatever, that's clearly going too far. Because, I mean, as you mentioned, he's shooting over 40% from three. He's taking, what, like, seven, eight a game. I mean, anybody who can do that has real value in the NBA. The problem is he's not a very good passer or playmaker. Like, he's an even worse decision maker. And his defense is just really, really, really bad. Uh, And it's the type of defense where it's not necessarily effort. It's just he doesn't really look, like, Defense clicks for him, and at this point, you know, as Sean said, going into year six, um, you know, at this point, who knows if it ever will? Like, maybe he'll improve a little bit, but he's already—he's still so bad. Um, you know, even a little bit of improvement doesn't get him like too far. So, I mean, I think he could be a very valuable piece to an NBA team. Um, you know, the comparison that's been made since forever with him really is like a more athletic Jamal Crawford and. I think mean, he's actually better than Jamal was because Jamal was just so, so inefficient um, for most of his career. And, I mean, Levine's ability to take and shoot threes at a high volume is probably more valuable than anything Jamal Crawford did on the basketball court. Um, but, I mean, I think that type of role is, is really what's best for him because it also hides his defensive inefficiencies and it removes a lot of, like, the lead playmaking, ball handling aspects just coming off the bench and score, you know, 18 to 20 points in – 30 minutes, and that's your role. It's not like being the leader in face of a team, which I think he's, you know, that's a role he's mistasked for.
2: Yeah, the problem is, like, I agree with you. I think if he could find himself in a situation where that's all they ask him to do is come off the bench and, you know, score 20 points off the bench, you know, he can do that easily. But because he was the centerpiece or one of the centerpieces of the Jimmy Butler trade, which the Bulls, I mean – all three of the guys that got back in that trade, you know, uh, Markin and Levine, and Chris Dunn, uh, who has actually had a pretty nice season after it seemed like they were completely done with him and he had no future in Chicago. Uh, like, they they say sold him. You know, you, you trade a guy as good as Jimmy Butler basically right in his prime, and you'd have to sell the franchise on these guys that we got back, these guys are going to be stars. And so they've kind of shown, you know, pushed Levine as that. And so then if they were to now say, you know, ask him especially once they gave him that contract and they matched that offer sheet that Sacramento gave him and making like 19 million a year that's not bench player money so at this point right. like for them to come then go back and say you know actually Zach we want to have you come off the bench i don't think that's going to really go well especially yeah. like it already seems it already seems at least from afar that Zach has kind of checked out on on Jim Boylan and it, it doesn't seem like that relationship is going very well or you know, not that that's different from you know anybody else on the team but it, ju- but it just it just seems also like only 24 Right, and with, with all of these guys, like, I feel like, you know, Lowry Martin has looked so good at times, and I think he could be, you know, he has the skills. I think he can be, a, you know, an elite big man in, in this league in terms of, you know, his shooting ability, but also his, re- he, you know, he has the ability to get to the basket. Like, he has a lot of the skills there, but I don't know. Like, maybe his confidence just shot, or is he just not being used right? I think he's another guy that I feel like eventually, if the Bulls were to trade him somewhere, I would not be surprised if he broke out on his new team. Yeah. Um, last night's game was pretty
0: pretty entertaining. I mean, the Clippers, I think they went up as high as 17 points on the Bulls, um, had a lead for most of the first half, and then extended it towards the end of it. And then the the most interesting, I mean, they got tired basically. It was the last game of a Road Trip, the second ever back to back. I think they had like 18 hours of rest between games.
2: Um, and like three of their five best players weren't playing. Right. Um, Nevertheless. Uh, the. Although, did you, know. you see Jim
0: Bo- did you see Jim Boylan's
2: quote? <laughs> I did. So, no, I didn't. What did he say? He said <laughs> – he, he he, somebody brought up, like, you know, can you guys really, like, feel great about this win if, you know, the Clippers didn't have Kawhi and Lou Williams and Patrick Beverly – and Jim Boylan apparently said uh, it was KC that tweeted this. I think uh, he said, uh, "Yeah, well, we didn't have Otto Porter and Hutch- Chandler Hutchison and Daniel Gafford, so we could yeah, <laughs> but it a little bit too." Which I just that that's just an incredible quote to me. That's a great response. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's as good of a
0: response as that question deserved. Yeah, um, but the, I think these these regular season games that like you know you have to get through. Um, In order to make it to the playoffs, win or lose, like there's there's usually or yeah, there's usually one or two things that stand out about the game for me. It was Chris Dunn and Paul George going at it, and like this is not like a rivalry that goes back years. You know, this is just something from the game. Chris Dunn got you know got up in his in his chest and was like defending him pretty well, Um, definitely physically. And Paul George is like, who is this guy? Like, get out of my face. And I, Chris Dunn won that battle in the end. I mean, I think Paul George gave him, what did he, what did he have last night, like 30... I don't know. Was, we had 27 last night, yeah. Um, but, like, the game came down to Paul George forcing a bunch of shots and he missed. Um, and that's just like, you know, you, you're not going to get a Chris Dunn-Paul George matchup in the playoffs. Like, you're not going to get that the way you would Patrick Beverly against Russell Westbrook. Like we're we're gonna see this maybe I guess twice a year unless like someone trades for Chris Dunn. But these are the these are the things that make the regular season games even the losses like more you know part of the part of the complexion of the of the of the longer season that contains much more important games.
2: Yeah, and Chris Dunn, I, you know, he's a guy. And you know, as much as you know, we've talked about how you know Lowry Markin and Zach Levine and some of these other Bulls guys haven't really delivered on what people thought they were going to be. I think you know Chris Dunn's the guy you have to point at and say, okay, he has finally. You know, it took him a while, but he's finally figured out what his role is in the NBA. Because when they traded for him, and this is even going back to before he was on the Bulls, the Bulls were super high. They, you know, the, a year before they traded Jimmy to Minnesota. They almost traded him to the Celtics. For uh, I think the package would have been like Jay Crowder and the number three pick, which the Celtics used on Jalen Brown, but the Bulls wanted that pick because they wanted to take Chris Dunn because they thought he was the next Wayne Wade. And when they
0: A lot you know, of people did, yeah. Right,
2: well, or right. They, they, were, high, they were super high on him and you know, even even when, you know, he didn't have a very good rookie season in Minnesota, but I think you can chalk that up to Tom Thibodeau just doesn't like to play rookies and they, he just he just doesn't. Like that's always been a thing about Tom. But when they traded for them, they they thought you know Lowry you know Lowry Markman could be good. Yeah, Zach Levine's coming off the ACL. But we still think he's got some upside. But Chris Dunn was the guy at the time that they thought, okay, this is our guy. And over the past couple of years, he has you know he was you know they they tried to you know make him a lead guard and make him kind of you know the focal point. And it just has not worked out because he is not that guy. But I think he's now found this lane for himself where. You know he is. You know whether you want to talk about like a Marcus Smart or Tony Allen, you know offense isn't really his strong suit, but he can come in and you know you, you saw as you mentioned uh, the way that you know he he the way he was able to stay on Paul George and force Paul George to take a bunch of pad shots. Like like Paul George is going to put up his numbers regardless, but make it hard for him. You know Chris Dunn is a guy that can come off the bench and guard the other team's best wing player and at least make it difficult for them. And if he does that, he's going to be able to stick in the league for a long time.
0: Yeah, I I completely agree and. Sometimes you know they, they you said Chris Dunn was their guy and he had that crummy first season in Minnesota. I think a lot of I think the if there's a market inefficiency and we're going to talk about trades in a second, but I think if there's a market inefficiency in the NBA, that's even just coming out from from how you're describing the Bulls is like there are these guys who are in their first few years who are in a bad situation and just like need need a new spot or like they need a new coach um, or they need a new role and. Like I think that they looked at Chris Dunn and they're like, you know what, this guy was, was not very promising. He's already 22 or 23, whatever he is. But you know, we're going to take a flyer. And sometimes those things really work out, and sometimes they don't, and sometimes they're sort of in between, which is how how it's looking with Chris Dunn. Well, well Chris Dunn thought,
2: wasn't a flyer. They they traded for Chris Dunn thinking he was going to be their next guy. No, nah, I mean, I mean you can say, but, but, which I mean, it, it tracks because I mean the Bulls certainly have a type. The Bulls love. Uh, you know, four-year college guys, who you know, if you if you if you if you think you know Denzel Valentine was their draft pick the year before, uh, Jerry and Grant was a guy that they got in the Derrick Rose trade, but he's a guy that I know they had high on their board that year. Like they love four-year college like that. Like they have a type, and Chris Dunn is their type.
0: Okay, fair enough. Now we just watched the the Roge and Lowe trade special, and Christmas season is coming up. Um, can the Bulls do anything in this? I mean, you know, we'll talk about the Clippers too. You know, what, what, is, what is coming? What, what do we have coming? Is, is there going to be a trade tomorrow, first of all? Do you think that?
2: Well, as of today, teams are actually allowed to make trades with the guys that signed over the summer. I think there are some guys, like, like restricted guys that had their offer sheets matched, I think can be traded on January 15th. So there's still a little bit more stuff that has to unfold. I, don't, I haven't heard anything about the Bulls. what the Bulls are going to do. I mean, if they decide that, okay, we're not going to try to make the playoffs, we can, we're going to just go into total sell mode. I think there are plenty of veteran teams out there that would love to have a guy like Thaddeus Young, for example, like, like him and Saturansky. Like, there are guys they have, but I think they still feel like, you know, as badly as this season has gone – They're still going to try to compete for the playoffs, which even as bad as they are, like in the Eastern Conference, that's six, seven, eight seed in the East. Like once you get beyond Milwaukee, Philly, Boston, uh, Indy, and Toronto, like the rest of the East is really not that good when it comes to somebody, you know, whether it's like Orlando, Detroit, whoever. Like I think they still feel like they can compete. And so I don't think they're going to make a big move to – you know, sell off, you know, Thad Young or, you know, give up on Zach Levine or give up on Mark. And I think they might just stand pat. And if they don't make the playoffs, they'll be able to point to Otto Porter being out for all this time as the latest thing that they that they they can point to as an excuse for why the team is underperformed so, that, so they can keep the blame off of their hand-picked coach and themselves for building this roster.
0: Yeah. Um. Flom, uh Roge mentioned – or Zach Roe mentioned a possible ch- – trade idea, not sure how concrete this was, but he mentioned Mo Harkless could get moved, uh, along with maybe Patrick Patterson, uh, and a first for Marcus Morris. I think that was like one of there yeah. were not very there were not very many like trade concrete. proposals mentioned during that was one of them that he fired right off the bat.
1: What did you make of that? I do not like it. I mean, again, um, you know, I'm I'm more of the aesthetic basketball type, like you know, I have my preferences um and again, Marcus Morse' not really my type of player. I do think he would fit with the ethos of the clippers in terms of like that toughness not backing down from anyone has like an underdog vibe um i you know that's all fine, well and good. Uh, he would offer, you know, some shot creation, um, some additional shooting that I do think the Clippers could honestly use, mm-hmm. um, because outside of their, you know, top four guys, which is uh, Paul George, Kawhi, Lou, and Trez, they really don't have many guys who can create offense. Um, you know, Landry Shamet maybe could be that fifth guy, uh, but he's been injured almost the entire season. Um, so, I, I can see where Marcus Morris would fit, and I just think that's too much. I mean, I do get what Zach Lowe said, which is that you know the Clippers are in it to win a championship, and to that end, a 2021st 20, 20 is not doing anything for them. Um, you know they're going to be picking in the mid to late 20s, and if they can get a guy who will help them this year, obviously you make that move. My issue is just the Mo Harkless for Marcus Morris swap. I just I don't know if it's an upgrade at all, really, um, especially just taking into fit. Like I think Marcus Morris maybe you know could be a good guy to have off the bench. So I mean if the Clippers want to do a Pat Beverly Landry Shamit Kawhi PG. Zubat's starting lineup, that could work, but I also know that they don't want to do that because they don't want Kawhi and PG to play up uh, because they're afraid of the wear and tear and potential injuries from doing that. Um, you know, the starting lineup with Mo Harkless has been really good. Uh, he's been excellent this year. He does leave some things to be desired in terms of shooting, shot creation, just offense in general. Like, he really, they've been utilizing him as a cutter and in the dunker spot, and he's been really good at that. Yeah. Um, and like I just—that
2: sounds like Mo Harkless in Portland.
1: Yeah, he's basically the exact same player. It's just that I actually wrote about this for Blazers Edge a couple of days ago. Is that this role is much better for him in Portland? He was kind of asked to do a little bit more on offense. Um, you know, they didn't have the kind of overall attack that the Clippers do. Um, and so he was. Blazers fans were always kind of disappointed, um, from what I can tell, at least from the comment section, that he was, you know, not quite as consistent offensively. The Clippers are not asking him to do any of that. Um, it's barely even shooting threes. I mean, he's not even taking two a game. It's just like, can you just be in the right spot at the right time and finish around the rim? And he can. But really, I mean, it's defense. And Mo Harkless is a really good defensive player, and he can take a lot of the pressure off PG and Kawhi, and it's enabled them to play off-ball a little bit more and roam, as well as letting them rest a bit um, to conserve energy for offense. And that's a really big deal, and Marcus Morris just offers none of that. Um, I just – I don't get it. I don't see why they do that. You know, a Mohark was for Andre Iguodala, sure. You know, it's Iggy. He's a guy who's helped win multiple championships, super battle-tested, you know, offers a ball handling and, you know, shot creation component in a different way. Uh And Marcus Morris, which I think is kind of more valuable for the Clippers, and more importantly, just fulfills that defensive component too – um, so that you know, sure, uh, but I just I don't get the mo Harlist for Marcus Morris thing, and apparently they really like Morris because he mentioned that they tried to sign him this summer, and I did hear that they really wanted to sign him this summer uh and in one of like multiple backtracks he did, he went to the Spurs and then he went to the Knicks um so they have real interest in him, and you know there's a reason why Lowe said that and spelled out a very particular trade um because I'm guessing that has at least been floated at some point. Uh, I just would not agree with it. I mean, this Clippers front office is really smart, and they've made a ton of great moves. Uh, So who am I to question it? But I I personally would not be a fan of that particular trade.
0: Is there any name, I mean, you mentioned Iguodala, and I have a question about Iguodala, but is there any name that's floating out there that you
1: do think would be a good fit uh, for this team, for the Clippers? (sighs) It's tough because I think, you know, the two things that they, you, they could need more than anything are another ball handler, slash shot trader. Um, so, you know, a point guard type, though so Iggy would fill that need again as, you know, a wing kind of playmaking wing, and a big man to fill in for, you know, Zubats and, and Trez when Zoo just isn't good enough offensively and when Trez is too small defensively. The issue with that is, one, Trez has been so good offensively that it's been tough to keep him off the court. And two, Zoo has actually been good. And three, actually, is that there really aren't many good big men who are available to be traded. So I really don't see that many. Um, you know, there are guys out there like Marcus Gasol might be available if the Raptors, um, you know, maybe continue tailing off a little bit.
2: A um, too. What Ibaka too?
1: Yeah, exactly. Like either of those guys, sure. And like I think both of those guys would be really good fits for what the Clippers are looking for. Um, you know, Harkless for one of them, maybe plus you know Jerome in a first. That might make more sense just in terms of filling a positional fit, um, for the Clippers. But you know, those are probably the two biggest names, and I honestly don't know what the Raptors are going to do. They mentioned this again on the show, but the Raptors are, are probably one of the hardest to read teams. And as for point guards, I mean there are like a million point guards. like Tomas well, the Sat- Raptors
2: just don't leak anything. That's the that, that's the that's the thing.
1: Yeah. The, the Raptors are fifth in the East. Until like two weeks ago they looked like one of the best teams in the NBA. Um who knows what they're gonna do. Uh yeah, and one of the other names is Tomas Sadaransky on the Bulls, who I've been a huge fan of for years. Um and again, that depends on whether the Bulls, you know, decide they're not making the playoffs or not. But it's it's kind of slim pickings this year, um, and, again, the Clippers have, like, very specific needs, and, the you know, the more specific type of need you get, the harder it is to find a player that fits.
2: Yeah, this is kind of a hard trade season to really get a read on, because this is such a weak free agent class that it's not like teams, are like, trying to get off expiring deals so they can create cap space, because it's not until 2021 that all the big names are, are coming up again, so, like... Like some like some of the teams are are feeling like, okay maybe do we get some short term help I think I think the fact that there's no Warriors this year there's no like this team is inevitable and like a bunch of teams now feel like maybe 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 we've got a shot if we make a trade that you know that might mean things are more active but uh, I don't know it's 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 just at this point it's really hard to get a read on kind of what different teams are trying to do or who wants to do what like. In the past, it's always been like, okay, well, these teams are, gonna, are buyers. These teams are sellers. This time, like, you, you know, you give me most teams, I can probably say, like, okay, they, you know, you can make an argument. They, maybe they want to add somebody. Maybe they want to sell. Like, the Bulls, who you just mentioned, with Thad I don't think that they're going to be trying to take that route of selling off any of their guys, whether it's him or Thad Young, who's another guy the teams could use. But I also don't see them, like, adding like, – I, I don't know. I don't, I, like, it seems like a lot of teams are just like, in that in-between zone right now.
0: Yeah, I I'm, I I'm curious about Iguadala just because that's the name that everyone knows is going to end up somewhere. Um I don't think anyone wants to try to stick it out and see if he gets bought out because I think Well, he's not going to get bought out. I yeah, think like, cuz like like
2: they're, like they they're going to give him they're going to sell him to the highest bidder at the deadline. Right. They're not going He's not going to be still on the Grizzlies payroll after 3 p.m. or whatever at the trade deadline. Like he's going right. to I th- I think I think that I mean the Grizzlies are playing this perfectly. They know that at between now and February, whether it's the Clippers or Dallas or Houston or, you know, Portland is another team that, you know, if you know, his money Rangers, matches yeah. his his money matches about uh, matches up just about with Kent Bazemore, it's just a matter of you know, whether they want to use that first rounder because they, cause they, they have all their own picks, and they could offer a protected first in a, in a deal like that, it's just a matter of do they want to do it for him or do it for Kevin Love, but like they, like, you know that's a team that could get in the mix for some of those guys, but like, they're going to get what they want in terms of a protected first, they're going to get that from somebody, it's just a matter of where you know, the first team to blink and actually put that on the table is. You think that's, that's what it'll be, a protected first? Yeah, that's about what, I think that's about all you can expect because Iguodol is expiring. I think there's kind of, it's kind of thought around the league that next season when he's a free agent, he's going to go back to Golden State and play one more year there before retiring. So this would definitely be a rental for whoever trades for him, whether that's the Clippers or the Lakers or the Rockets or any of these other teams that are in the category of teams that might be interested in trading for him. They're looking, they would be looking at it as a rental for, uh, for three months. And so uh, if, with that being the case, I mean, I, you, I think you still do it if you're, if, you're, if you're a team like the Clippers where, yeah, you, you, you gave up all this stuff to get Paul George and Kawhi. Clearly, you're trying to win a championship right now. You have those guys on essentially two-year deals. You do whatever you can to go all in right now and then figure out, you know, worry about the draft picks and stuff later. So for them, it would be worth it. It's just, you know, when it is a four-month rental that you're looking at, then yes, it, it, that's real. you know, a protected first is basically all that you can realistically expect to get back. Another
0: name that was coming up was Kevin Love, and we were talking a little bit before the show about uh, you guys think he's gonna head to Portland. Is that still is that how
2: you guys feel right now? You know, if I had to guess, that's it's they 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 make the most sense. I mean, I know, I know you know people love to kind of make make you know Kevin Love to Portland be the thing because he's from the area and supposedly he wants to be traded here. I've heard conflicting things about that. Because it's, it, it, it's, like, it's not even like he's a guy that, uh, you know, has a huge fan base here. Where people are really clamoring for Kevin Love to come home. You have to remember uh, he chose to go to UCLA over Oregon, and a lot of people here locally were kind of upset at him for that. I think at this point they, you know, <laughs> people kind of let that go. But it's not like Kevin Love is, you know, beloved here and is a guy that they've wanted to come to the Blazers for a long time. But, like, he makes sense. And, you know, the Blazers are also not a team that's going to have cap space anytime soon, so I don't think they're really worried about taking on his contract because, you know, they they just gave these big extensions to Damian Lillard and C.J. McCall, and they have Nurkic coming back sometime this season. They yeah, they're saying make February. This, you know, like, what do you say? They're saying February for a Nurk. Well, they haven't said anything. Like, they, like, the team is very purposely, like, keeping it vague and not putting out any uh, – you know, you know, putting out, you know, putting a timetable on it. But, you know, yesterday he talked to media in Phoenix and they, you know, the team Twitter account has posted all this video of him working out and, and you know, getting shots up and running stairs. I don't think the team would be pushing him that hard in terms of, like, the public, like, hey, look at this, fans get excited about this, Nurk is doing more, unless they thought he was going to be coming back soon. But what I have heard is, like, yeah, like mid-February maybe around the All-Star break is probably reasonable to expect. Maybe he'll be back, but they've been very careful not to put a specific date on it. But like their idea is I think the Blazers like like they were talking at the beginning of the season about wanting to compete for a championship. That's obviously not happening. I think they know at this point that their best-case scenario is stay around in the playoff race, get the seven or eight seed, which I, think, which I still think they can do because I still think they're going to end up being better than, you know, that, that cluster of Minnesota, Phoenix, Sacramento, like those teams kind of in that tier, I think. And I think Oklahoma City is going to sell all their guys off, so they're not going to really be in the mix. But basically, you know, this year you do what you can, you tread water, you make the playoffs, and any trade that they make at the deadline is going to be for next year. And so if you go into next season with Lillard, McCollum, Kevin Love, and a healthy Nurkic, that team is pretty good. Well, how much? Well,
0: how much does love move the needle for them? Right, that's that's kind of maybe not this year. Well, starting
2: power forward right now is is uh, is thirty five year old Carmelo Anthony, who's been a nice story, but like you're still saying it. not that much.
0: <laughs> no, I'm
2: saying no, I'm it's saying, a saying I think pro Kevin,
0: Carmelo Anthony show.
2: <laughs> no, I'm saying Kevin Love does Kevin Love does make him a lot better. Like, he can still shoot. He, you know, th- their rebounding has been atrocious outside of Hassan Whiteside. Uh, who you know Whiteside is gonna you know Whiteside would be the guy that gets moved in a potential Love trade because his salary basically matches up exactly with Love's. So you know you need someone who can rebound. I don't think Love is as bad of a defender, at least positionally, as maybe his reputation is. I think he's 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 still decent on that end. I think the only real long-term question mark with Love is his health history. Like he's had some back stuff. He's had some knee stuff you wonder how much he's going to be able to hold up but you know he's been pretty good this year even though this Cavs team is terrible like i like i would i would i would roll the dice if i was portland
0: Blom, you've done some blazer writing in the past uh where do you where do you diverge from Sean on this
1: uh i don't diverge too much in terms of i do think that they should go for it if it's available um you know, I do. I would worry a lot about the injuries. Uh, you know, Love has also played a ton of minutes. Um, you know, in his early Wolves years, he played huge minutes for those teams. Uh, really handled a heavy, heavy load. He's been on the Cavs a while you know deep playoff runs. Played a lot of minutes there as well. And yeah, I mean, I think you know big men who are. I agree that he's not as bad defensively as a lot of people think, but certainly not the fleetest of foot. Um, you know, he might age into being more of a center defensively, and you know whether you can continue to play him with Nurkic and for how long is an issue. Uh, but I do think that that is a trade worth making. I, I, their power forward depth is atrocious. It's you know Melo and then like Mario Hazonia and Anthony Tolliver and you know Nasir Little. It's just it's not great. Um, and Kevin Love is a huge upgrade over those guys. Uh, so I think that would be interesting, and I think he does make a lot of sense there. I actually like them more for Gallo, um, even though that would be more of a rental because this is his last year. But if you come to, you know, some kind of under the table thing about, you know, resigning, <laughs> uh, you know, that or even is-
2: just signing I mean, into an extension, like right off the bat.
1: Yeah, that could work too. Um, I think Gallo would fit there much better because he's already aged up his position. Um, you know, he's a better defender. He's younger, even though he's had, you know, even worse injury issues than love, really. Uh, you know, he's younger. Um, because of a lot of those injuries, he really hasn't played that many minutes uh, in a lot of seasons, and he's really good. I mean, he was fantastic for the Clippers last year, as, as listeners to this pod know, and he's been really good for the Thunder this year. Um So I think that would be a trade worth considering as well. I kind of like him a little bit more than love for the Blazers. Um, You know, the issue with that is, like, I think they would definitely make the playoffs if they got either of those guys. Um, You know, what a first-round playoff appearance really does for that franchise at this particular point, outside of, like, a little bit more money and just not having to tell Damian Lillard that he made the playoffs – uh, that's something that they weigh eternally, internally, and know more than we would know about, like how much would making the playoffs mean to Dame versus having, you know, a somewhat better draft pick, uh, something along those lines. And I don't really know. I mean, Dame Lillard's a super competitive guy, and it could mean a whole lot to him, even just to squeak in there and lose in, you know, five or six games or, or less to the Warriors or I mean, to the Clippers or Lakers. Force <laughs> the worst. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's an unknowable question, um, and that that's really what swings it, I think. If they think – if they go to him, you know, in uh, mid-January and they are still about the same team, uh, Nurkic is still a couple months away, and they're like, look, Dane, you know, we could make this trade and squeak into the A C here, but we don't really know what that does for our franchise – you know, would you be okay with, you know, maybe taking things a little bit easy the rest of the year? You and St. J can take back-to-backs off, you know, cut down the minutes a little bit, and, you know, we'll try to finesse a somewhat better draft pick. You know, I think that's something that might be smarter. Uh, but, you know, again, we don't know how Dane feels about all this. And Damian Lord is one of the ten best players in the NBA. Uh, I know he just signed an extension, but we've seen how little uh, – Guys under contracts really needs in today's n b a so right. it, I think it really comes down to that
2: well, one thing I can tell you guys is I don't think dame's going for that sure. <laughs> like no no chance even like like even if he knows deep down that yeah, where you know they probably would get destroyed by the Lakers or the Clippers in the first round if they made the seventh or eighth seed, like like we've seen and we've seen this before, dame is literally too good for them to take they try they tried to take. Right the year that they lost, you know, LaMarcus Aldridge, Robin Lopez, Nick Batum, Wesley Met, like, they lost four of their five starters, and they brought in kind of all these guys they took flyers on. They came into that season thinking, oh, you know, we're going to be terrible this year. It's, you know, it's, it's you know, we're going we're to tank, we're going to get a high draft pick. Then they literally could not do that because Dame was too good. And I think, you know, as long as Dame is, is healthy and playing – and now maybe Dame actually does have an injury at some point, and that changes the calculus a little bit. But I just – like, you, if, are they going to go to Dame and say, hey, look, let's, like, make up an injury and have you, you know, sit out the rest of the year so we can get a higher draft pick? Like Dame is not going to go for that. And, that, and that would run counter to the way that they you – know, you know, one thing Dame loves to talk about is, like, I've, except for my rookie year, I've made the playoffs every year. I think Dame takes pride in that. And, you know, last year, you know – I obviously it would be a huge long shot against a team like the Lakers or the Clippers. Like they would be pretty overmatched, but I don't think anybody going into the playoffs last year expected the Blazers to make the conference finals and some breaks went their way and they did. I think Dame likes the idea of, you know what, we're not going to be favored in any of these playoff matchups. Let's get there and roll the dice and see what happens. Like I think that's much more the way Dame is wired. Like he would not, I don't think he would react well to, Oh, let's, you know, take things easy and try to get a draft pick. I, I mean, the, the Rodney Hood injury, you know the, that that one hurts a lot too, because I don't know where they're going to be able to find scoring outside of the you know Dame and CJ now. But like, I just I don't see Dame going for the idea of just like punting on this season. I, I mean, not not that I think he would say, oh, we have to get some you know make a make a trade for a short term thing. That's why I think Love makes the most sense because they know he's under contract for three more years, so they can trade for him. They'll still be decent enough this year to probably squeak into the playoffs. And then you come into a clean slate next year, and you already kind of know what your team is going to look like.
0: Yeah, I think I, I I don't disagree with you there. I'm sure Dame is going to be in favor of the team trying to make the playoffs. The question is, will the will the organization feel that way? And it seems likely that they will. But right now, looking at the standings, the Kings are in the seventh seed, or they're tied, I guess, for eighth. The one and a half games separates the Kings from the 12th seed. Uh, Blazers so like there's going to be there's six teams right now that have a realistic shot at two playoff spots uh, including the Thunder right if the Thunder traded Gallinari to Blazers right now they'd be trading down in the standings like I, as from an aesthetic standpoint I want to see the goes Gilgis Shea Gilgis Alexander Thunder make a run uh, which is obviously pretty unlikely but like the question is, which of these organizations really wants that eighth seed, um, you know, to le- to legitimize what the franchise is doing on a on a larger, you know, rebuilding sense? The Kings are 11 and 14. Uh, they've been a lot better lately. They definitely want to make the playoffs this year. Um, they're you
2: know, getting Deere and Fox back soon too. They're getting
0: they're getting Fox back. They just got Bagley back. The Suns. This is, like, I don't I don't know if I would call it a make or break year for them because um, it's sort of found money how well they've been playing. But now that they're this close, you know, they came really close a few years back um, to making the playoffs. And everyone's like, okay, they'll make it next year. And they just they haven't even come close since then. So, like, a lot of these teams that can taste it, I think are going to push really hard. And right now, the top six seeds in the West are pretty much already set. Lakers, Clippers. Mavericks. I even with Doncic getting hurt, I don't think they'll drop. He's off only that getting time.
2: out for a couple weeks. He's for a couple
0: it. weeks, yeah. Um, Nuggets, Rockets, Jazz, and then the West is pretty open after I Could be the Spurs. You know, I don't necessarily think it will be, but Spurs. I don't think
1: it's gonna be the Spurs.
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs>
0: Spurs, Thunder, uh, Timberwolves, Suns, Kings, Blazers. It's gonna be it's gonna be pretty interesting.
2: Um, See, I just I just I just feel just given the track record, given the Blazers have the best player on any of those teams, of, on any of these like bubble teams that are competing for the seven and eight seeds. So that like first of all, like they have that. I think they probably have the best coach out of. I think Terry Stotts is the best coach out of that group. Mm-hmm. The Blazers have overachieved every year. They're going to get Nurkic back at some point, which, and again, we don't know exactly when. But again, the team is putting out the messaging on social media and, you know, in various other forms that he's going to be back at some point, and they're, you know, they're 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 hyping that up. They're going to get Nurkic back. And then if you look at some like these other teams, like Minnesota has, like none of those guys have really been there before. Sac- Sacramento hasn't been there before. uh Uh, Minnesota hasn't been there before. Oklahoma City, I still think, is going to sell off all their guys or or some of their guys, and I think they're going to fall back a little bit in the standings because, you know, Sam Presti wants to stockpile draft picks. You know, that's what he wants to do. Like, I just think that in the end, I trust Portland based on, you know, the track record that Damon Stotts and CJ and all them have. Thus, you know, over the last, you know, they had like six years of equity in terms of like being in these sorts of situations and being able to find a way to get in there. I trust them more than I trust, like I. Tr- I they're going to be better than like, like they may not be the best out of all those teams, but they're going to be among the best two out of those teams at the end of the season.
0: Yeah, and they know how to win games.
2: Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's, that's that's what I was saying. Like none of these other teams, like like what like, the sac- you know, and I hate to, you know, be like reductive, like oh, well, what does any of these guys? like, but like so, any of these guys on Sacramento, Phoenix, uh, Minnesota, like what what of any of those like. Minnesota made the playoffs once a couple of years ago. Like, okay, that's great. Like, I know Wiggins has been playing a lot better, but, like, what have any of these guys ever done that, you know, matches up to, you know, Dane has been in these situations before, CJ's been in these situations before. Like, all these other guys, like, on the team, like they, like, they've all been here before.
0: Yeah, I mean, it sounds a little bit like you don't respect uh, Bogdan Bogdanovic, but uh, that <laughs> that is
2: actually uh, interesting. Like, because I think that's a guy that you know he, he's a restricted free agent. Uh, that that's a guy that would help the Clippers a lot. I think I don't know if they have what it takes to get him, but like he like he seems like he's he's sort of the guy that uh, a lot of teams I think would love to trade for.
0: Oh yeah, I mean he's he's a really good player, and the yeah. Sacramento Kings do not value him like. Appropriately for how good he is, um, and it actually took like De'Aaron Fox getting hurt for them to like really play, play him as much as he deserves. But he can, I mean, he can do a lot of different things. Um, okay, let's move on to uh, our our second favorite segment, which is um, the who do we not respect this week? Uh, in previous weeks, we've done the Utah Jazz, uh, the Lakers, uh, various teams. I don't know if we've ever gone to the player mark, but I want to say. The thing that I don't respect this week is uh, the Atlanta Hawks uh, management telling Trey Young that they're going to be getting him help. Trey Young, amazing player, amazing young player, in his second year having a great season. I don't think this team has any urgency to be good right now. And I would say the main reason they've been as bad as they've been is because John Collins has been suspended. Um, Trey Young, obviously very frustrated because his team is losing a lot. I think he probably feels the pressure of being compared to Luka Doncic, even though he's very much proven himself to be his own uh, terrific player in his own right. But I like the Hawks' young players, like uh, DeAndre Hunter. Uh, do they have two guys named DeAndre? DeAndre Brambury. Uh, they have, they have two-
2: apostrophes at different places in their names, too. There we
0: go. Yeah, so they have – I mean – They have talented young guys. Uh, Not all of them have been playing. I mean, obviously, many of them have been pretty inconsistent. Uh, John Collins has been by far uh, their best other player. Uh, He could have been an all-star this year uh, had he not been suspended for doing steroids. They're about to get him back. They'll be a mediocre team again, and I think uh, Trae Young will be fine. Um, I don't know who they could trade for that would help them in in the immediate term
1: without hurting them in the long term. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, I think I'm not a huge fan of a lot of their young guys, actually. I think they had a really bad draft. Not a huge Cam Reddish fan. Uh, DeAndre Hunter is interesting, but I think wasn't really who they should have gone with. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I still don't see why they're in any rush to be good. I mean, Trey Young is, what, like 20? Yeah. Uh, You know, I understand these guys, as we just mentioned with Dame, I mean, these guys are all super competitive, especially the Stars. Yeah. Trae Young has never lost at any level of his career, probably, because he's so good, he's just never lost. But, you know, there has to be a talk where, like, look, you know, this team is really young. We want to continue to build this team. These guys need time. Not all these guys are at your level of talent where they can just come into the NBA and be, you know, really plus-level players right away. So I, I just don't get it with that. You know, I think teams rushing to try to be good is one way that rebuilds fail in the NBA. Yeah. most common way that rebuilds fail in the NBA, outside of just bad drafting. Uh, and, like, I just don't see any need for them to rush, especially in the East. Like, if they just continue on their natural level of growth, next year they should probably be a playoff team in the East anyway. You know, especially if Collins is healthy and Herder is more is healthier next year, that team is probably a playoff team. If if Reddish and, and Hunter and all those guys continue to improve, and if Trae Young himself uh, becomes not like the worst defensive player in the entire NBA, uh, that would also help them. So, um, you know, they're, they're, <laughs> that might not change. Uh, they they really aren't, and I would it would be, honestly be a shame, even if I'm not a huge fan of some of their young guys. It would really be not smart of them if they were to trade, like, DeAndre Bembry for some old veteran to try to make a run at the eighth seed in the East just so they could lose right. by, you know, 30 points a game to the Bucks in the first round. It's just It makes no
2: sense. I think they probably just told Trey Young that just, you know, because he was mad about it, and they were like, no, no, don't worry, don't worry, we're looking into our options. I, I, I don't expect the Hawks to do anything short-sighted.
0: What, uh, fun, do you have a pick for this week?
1: For disrespect, um, you know, I think disrespect this week is the disrespect being shown to the Milwaukee Bucks in NBA media, um, where it's like this weird loop that I think I've seen on Twitter where people are like, yeah, you know, there's pressure on Giannis to, like, go to bigger markets, and, you know, what if he makes this leap and he's not respected in Milwaukee? Well, you know how you can respect him more is by talking about the fact that the Bucks have won. Is it 18 games in a row at this 18 point? 18, yeah. 18 games in a row. Giannis is the best player in the NBA. Um, you know, apologies to numerous other players who are super, super good. Uh, Giannis, night in, night out, as I've said on this pause several times, is the most dominant force in the league, just having a ridiculous season for the second year in a row. Um, you know, they have a super deep roster. There could be stories about how Dante DiVincenzo, after a pretty bad rookie year, looking real good his sophomore year, um, you know they're getting nice stuff from like Sterling Brown, DJ Wilson, whenever he plays. Uh, Lewis's guy, sova Ilyasova. Uh, you know Hell yeah. they, the Lopez so- twins are are doing things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, and it's not even like there's no reason not to talk about them. It's not like the Spurs some years where they're really good but they're just kind of boring. The Bucks are super fun to watch. Giannis is a great personality. He's the best part in the NBA, and you can barely read anything about them in big media coverage, and, like, it's just, disrespect might be going, you know, too far, but, you know, I just wish there was more talk about that kind of stuff, um, and less talk about, you know, the usual stuff, which is, you know, how good Alex Caruso is, or even about the Clippers, you know, where it's like, um, you know, Kawhi is, you know, shooting... Five percent on threes, like, is this an issue? All these things that ultimately aren't as interesting or aren't as cool as just the Bucks dominating the NBA to an extent we haven't seen since, like, the 2016 and 2017 Warriors. And it's, it's just crazy to me because they should be the biggest story in the NBA right now. And Giannis should be the top of the NBA. They should be pushing him so hard. He's such a likable personality, such, like, just an incredible dominant player. And you know you barely hear about them. It's crazy.
2: Well, I think the problem is that like the Bucks. I mean, I think part of it is that the Bucks were so good in the regular season last year, and then they sort of fell apart against the Raptors in the playoffs. And so I think there's a little bit of like the you know the maybe the, you know media outlets don't want to push them that hard because they're like, oh, well, what if he just falters in the playoffs? I was like, I I actually. This is actually funny. Earlier today, I got a text from a friend of mine who is a member of NBA Twitter and is pretty active on this stuff, and this person texted me, I had no idea the Bucks were on an 18-game winning streak until right now because nobody's talked about it. So it really is a thing, but I think, I think it's kind of, you know, unfortunately, like, like there's only a handful of teams that, like, the casual fan cares about, and that's, you know, the Lakers, the Celtics, the Warriors, and, like, the Knicks, basically. And, I mean, you can throw out the Knicks. I mean, the Knicks obviously had, like, some drama in the last couple of weeks with firing David Fisdale, but the Knicks are irrelevant. So it's really those other few teams. And, you know, even, you know, in, in certain, you know, other, you know, like, even if, like, casual fans love Giannis, they're not going to care about the – like, maybe, maybe LeBron is just, like, in his own universe in terms of stuff. But, like, I feel like when LeBron was on the Cavs, people cared about the Cavs as a team in a way that they, you know, don't care about other stars on small market teams, you know, their teams, like, like, like you'll, you know, you do a story on, like, Tristan Thompson or, you know, whoever on the Cavs when LeBron was there, and that story would do well because it's the Cavs and, the, you know, it's LeBron and people care.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Giannis being as dominant as he is and as fun as he is isn't making casual fans care about Chris Middleton or Eric Bledsoe or whoever. Like, those are all really good players, but, like, Fans don't care about, I mean, you saw what happened to Anthony Davis in New Orleans. Like, you know, maybe Anthony Davis, there's interest in him. But, like, or even, even like, once Zion starts playing, everybody's going to be excited about Zion. But, like, are people suddenly going to say, yeah, you know, I really wonder, like, how Brandon Ingram is doing right. Like, like it's really just going to be, like, like we can, we can talk about whether this is a good thing or a bad thing. But the league has kind of made a decision to push, outside of, like, certain, you know, big market teams on the coast, like, and even, like, the Clippers, like, the Clippers, like, I, you know, as somebody who has been, you know, doing this for a while, not only this year when the Clippers are a contender, but also, like, even during the Lob City years when they had Chris Paul and Blake Griffin, the, the casual fan interest, like, beyond, like, hardcore NBA league Packs, Twitter – beyond like people you know, people like us. The interest in the Clippers among just like the average person was like non existent because they're not the Lakers and they're not the Knicks and they're not the Bulls and they're not the Celtics and they're not like one of these handful of teams that has these years years of like built in interest. Like I just don't really know what the you know what what the balance is, but I definitely agree with you guys that you know the Clippers and the Bucs and, you know, some of these other teams. Like, they, you know, the Bucs in particular should be promoted more, like Giannis and Luka and some of these up-and-coming guys. Like, the league should be doing everything they can to – and, you know, you, I mean, I, I, I'm sort of rambling here, but, you know, you see they kind of did get burned by that. though. Like, they put the Pelicans on TV so much this year because of Zion. Like, they're on, like the Pelicans are on national TV like 20 times this year, and then Zion has not played this year. We don't know when he's going to play, and now, you know, they just kind of get burned.
0: Well, same thing with the Warriors, too. right, they put the Warriors right, right. right.
2: And they're now flexing those teams off. But, you know, I think,
0: you know, I'm somewhere in between where I think, while that's true, you know, that no one wants to read something about Chris Middleton now uh, besides me, uh, is is that's manufactured by the league's choices. And you, you make the point that Cleveland, uh, you know, people will read that article about Tristan Thompson because there's so much interest in Cleveland. That interest was not there uh, LeBron's rookie year or even the first whole time that he was in Cleveland but by the time he became a big enough star th- there was and by the time he you know, left Miami and came back there was that much interest in Cleveland um, except maybe for me so uh, I think you know, it's, it's a chicken and the egg thing and you know, there's more people in, in the US that care about Manchester United than that care about the Milwaukee Bucks right? and no one yeah. here lives in Manchester it's not one of the big markets so uh, I, you know, I think I think it would be possible for uh, there to be in, more interest in walking. It just takes time. And one of the things with Giannis that uh, you guys alluded to is he's a very um, accessible star. Like, he gives like eight minute post games. Like he he does not necessarily say any. He's not Joel Embiid who doesn't like piss people off, but he's there and. Uh, he's got a great story, um, and soon I think he'll have real rivalries with players where uh, guys antagonize him a little bit more. I think there's he's just now arriving at the end of his NBA honeymoon where people start – like, if, he, if they don't make the conference finals this year, uh, people will be asking – Bigger questions about Giannis's ability. Um, the stakes for that team are are actually pretty high. Um, and you mentioned, he, oh, he has. They won 18 games. Nobody knows about it, and that's because previous teams kind of played out. That's what we're looking at here. Uh, I think uh, this the stakes. I, I don't know if he's going to win MVP over Harden, but the stakes for for the team uh, are probably the biggest. Or they're one of the biggest stories in the NBA right now because if this team doesn't go anywhere, then you will have the questions about whether Giannis is leaving. I don't think those are warranted right now, uh, but next year is going to be insane.
2: I I am just you know purely selfishly, you know, as an as an objective journalist, I'm not a fan of any team. I have no rooting interest in any team winning or not winning the championship, but. It sure would be nice if the Bucks win the title and then Giannis just signs a Supermax and we don't have to spend the next year talking, like, with, you know, everybody trying to push him, you know, to the Lakers or to the Warriors or to the Knicks or to whoever. Like, it would be nice if, like, and I guess maybe I'm just, like, I'm spoiled being in Portland and covering Damian Lillard, who is, you know, the guy who is, like, a superstar at that level who has already signed that third contract and is like, look, I want to be in Portland for my whole career and, you know, is, is talking about this stuff, like, I think you know, as much as like you know, I'm I'm as pro-player as anybody in terms of like I think these guys should have the right to decide where they play. I like the idea of somebody playing their whole career with one team, especially if it's like not one of the big market teams. Like I, you know, I like that Dirk spent his whole career in Dallas. I like that like Reggie Miller spent his whole career in Indiana. Like, like it, w- it would be awesome if Giannis played his whole career in Milwaukee and he didn't just oh he's a free agent like after. For after eight years, and now he's just going to go and sign with the Lakers, or sign with you know the Knicks, or sign with whoever. Like, I like the idea of like of like th- of like more more players, you know, deciding okay, this is actually where I want to be, and I want to be like a one team type of guy.
0: Yeah, but that uh, might
2: just be like wishful thinking by on my part. Obviously, it's like a, it's a different league now in terms of like you know the, you know the players are the ones that you know they, they control things. I don't think that's a bad thing. I just you know I wish I wish they would make di- some of them would make different choices. Sean, do
0: you have a uh, disrespect
2: item? I do actually. Let's hear I it. I don't love how much coverage is being given to LeBron's son. Being you know, like they've started putting his, you know, they they putting like his high school games on TV and you know, like it, I feel like I feel like at least like in the past week maybe this is just because his his team played against uh, Saint Vincent Saint Mary's last night and I guess that's a big mm-hmm. deal, but like because that was LeBron's high school, but like. It just feels gross to me that, like, I mean, I realize that, like, LeBron, when LeBron was in high school, they were putting his games on ESPN, but, like, at the time, that was, like, unprecedented, and LeBron was, you know, the best high school player of all time, probably, and it was totally unprecedented for somebody to, you know, have that level of hype, and then the fact that he's, like, lived up to it, but, like, it's just something about it. Like, I I, I get it, and, like, I guess that's good that, like, LeBron is, like, having an uninterrupted uh, crew be the ones that, like, get to actually have access to him. But it just feels gross to me that, like, you know, this kid's 15. It's not like he's, like, a can't-miss NBA prospect like LeBron was when he was that age. Like, like I just – I don't like that, like, we're already – you know, he's not even going to be able to go into the NBA for, like, four years. We don't know that he's going to be the number one pick. We don't know – you know, what kind of NBA player he's going to be and we're already kind of trying to manufacture this, hey look, LeBron's son is the next like, I just, I don't know, something about that just doesn't sit right with me, I don't know how you guys feel about that
0: Yeah, I'm actually, I'm working on a thing adjacent to uh, LeBron's son and I, I agree if only because like he hasn't earned it in basketball terms, if he was a really good Basketball player and LeBron James done.
2: Uh, then I well, I mean to be clear, he's so far like from what I have, like I haven't, I haven't really watched any of his high school games because so that's just not something I wanted to really do. But I went, I went and saw him. He seems like he's good. Yeah, he's he like, good. Probably like if he's you know stays in this track, he's gonna be in the NBA. But the difference between you know him right now is like people are talking about him like oh yeah he's a pretty good high school player whereas with lebron people were talking about him as like the next jordan when he was 15 and yeah. then he basically lived up to that hype like that's such a once in a lifetime and i get that like like if this guy wasn't lebron's kid would he be televised the way he is i don't think he would and again he might end up being a really good nba player but like because of what his name is, that's why he's getting this attention that he's getting. And I think it's – I don't think it's great for him either, like, like because, you know, it, you know, let's say he does, you know, get to the NBA and he's just, like, an okay player. His – you know, he, he spent this whole time, like, having all this attention on him. Once he gets to the NBA, like, that's going to be one of the biggest stories in the league yeah, that LeBron James's son is in the NBA. What if he's only, like, pretty good, like, a pretty good role player? Let's say he's not, like, an all-star level guy. Like – What's that like? What's that gonna do to him? Like, I, 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 I the, the whole thing is just kind of gross to me. Well, that's, I mean, that's fine if he ends up, uh, you
0: know, who knows what'll it do to him. What I'm more concerned about is how much we're gonna be hearing from LeBron about, like, from action, from LeBron James Senior about it, because, like, the thing that rubs me the wrong way about this is how he's growing up in this media incubator run by his dad, which, like, I, there's major ethical concerns about that. LeBron having his own media network uh, that does business with ESPN and their coverage of this player and how influential like coverage choices are into like scouting and and just like production of honest objective information that's what that's what raises major like uh, like uneasiness with me. Um, is just like uh, the coverage of him is going to be largely determined by what his dad says it's going to be. Um, And his dad is a media mogul. Like, it's not his dad as a basketball player, it's his dad as like, or his dad as his dad, it's his dad as like someone who has a financial stake in his son's high school games. That is Like, we we killed LeVar Ball for doing this. Like, LeBron James should be getting equal scrutiny for how he's, like, monetizing uh, the coverage of his kid. That, I I don't know, I think that's alarming. Um, And there's, you know, there's problems that, oh, if tons of people are making, ESPN is making money broadcasting his games, why shouldn't the James family? These are all questions that can be raised, but the big one to me is like, like how how is this media dynamic gonna gonna grow? Uh, and it's already an issue with coverage of LeBron himself. Like LeBron is himself uh, kind of a, a media untouchable. Uh, the coverage that we get of him is not very critical uh, because he's simply like too big and too important to criticize now. Um, I don't think it's, well, whatever. I, I think it's, there's some major ethical questions. Rob, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't even think about it that far. And for me, you know, I understand going to see, like you did, going to see Brawny, uh, just to see what all the fuss is about. Just, you know, check it out. Uh, to me, the entire aspect of analyzing and picking apart, like, high schoolers in general by, like, grown adults is kind of weird to me, um not, you know, throwing shots at any of the people who I follow on Twitter or, or, you know, friends in the media who do high school scouting and stuff. Like, you know, that's cool. You know, it's a lot of work to do that. There's obviously a ton of high school players and, you know, props in terms of just having that level of detail and attention and stuff. To me, it's a little bit weird to be, like, scouting the weaknesses of, like, 16- and 17-year-old kids. Yeah. Um, in general, much less, you know, having it on TV and having, you know, all this immediate attention, like, it's crazy, and I mean, LeBron has come out of it super well adjusted, uh, you know, he's certainly corny, and, you know, there are things about him that, you know, are very, you can tell that he was raised as, like, the chosen one in, like, a media just incubator, as you said, but not everybody is like that, and, you know, brawny might not be built for that kind of pressure. Um, you know, it's it's got to be tough to have those kind of cameras on you when you're 14, 15 years old. You're just in high school, like you're going through normal high school stuff, like trying to mature and grow and hang out with friends and, you know, talk to girls and whatnot. And, you know, then there's, you know, hundreds of media people tailing you around and asking you questions and stuff. It's got to be, you know, kind of weird, but, yeah, I mean, just brought me aside, I think the entire high school scouting thing, not even basketball, just sports in general, is just, I just I don't like it because, again, it's putting a lot of pressure on, on kids and, um, you know, really criticizing people who just don't need that kind of criticism from, like, grown adults. I mean, I think that's true even in college. Like, there was that thing last year with Tom Izzo screaming – one of his college prospects and it just looked like, you know, a six guy I don't know how old is though like sixty or seven year old man like bullying like an eighteen year old. And, you know, Twitter criticism obviously doesn't reach that type of emotional or physical level, but still I, I just it just rubs me the wrong way in general. Um, so I try not to do any of that type of high school scouting or anything. Like if there's a crazy prospect coming along the pipeline, like I might look at a YouTube video or two just to check highlights. But, you know, the in-depth scrutiny of kids who are not shaving yet is, you know, that's kind of odd to me.
0: Yeah. I'm going to add one more thing on this, which is the, the one thing I know is from Bronnie and you can see this in the highlights is. He's a really good shooter. Like, a lot of his role right now, coming off the bench for his team, is shooting corner threes. Um, And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, this kid grew up uh, with his dad telling him, probably, how important it was to have a a good shot. And the influence that, like, you know, looking at high school players uh, with an eye on how they would fit into the pro game is that, first of all, you get people building their games up to fit a game that isn't going to exist anymore when they get there. And secondly, like, let's say all the critics were listened to and then everyone just became very good, you know, uh, corner three-point shooters or, you know, developed their game in the same way, you'd have a much less interesting, much more uniform uh, game stylistically, which I think is a shame. And, you know, you look at the best player in the NBA right now, according to one of the hosts of the show, uh, is someone whose game developed completely unorthodoxly. Even once he got to the NBA, the insistence that he not shoot is what's made him, in my opinion, such a dominant interior player. Like, if Giannis had been shooting threes since his first season in the league, I think there's no way he'd be as good as he is now at everything else. Um, I I think there's no way that he'd be dunking the way he dunks, like, from outside of the restricted area. Just... I think him forcing – like him, his learning the game, you know, learning how to play the game the way he saw it um, with helpful coaching along the way that was not just be the same way everyone else in the league is, is how we have such, like, a unique butterfly that we're all watching fully formed today, and now he's learning how to shoot. And, like, the more that we look at high school players with an eye to how they fit into the pro game – the less, the worse off we are as fans who just like enjoying watching basketball, because you know these guys they 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 end up coming into the league being three and D, and then we have a league with 300 guys who are three and D, and ratings ratings are ratings are going down. No one wants, no one wants to watch. Um, so that's my thought. Sean, any last thoughts before we wrap up?
2: You know, I kind of, I mean, you're taking it like kind of kind a little bit further out than I even like like thought about it. I have no real like opinions about what LeBron's son's game is like as a as a player because I haven't really watched the guy. But like it's, but I I think that like ultimately like everything we know about LeBron and you know this your, your stuff and I'm actually really interested to read that piece when it, whenever it does come out about you know, LeBron as a media mogul and maybe, you know, ha, whether that's the best thing for his kid. Like, ever, ever, honestly, like, everything we know about LeBron is that LeBron is a really good dad, and LeBron, at the end of the day, cares about what's best for his kids, and may he may be trying to monetize it, but I don't think he would be – I think LeBron has been doing this for so long and has been in the spotlight for so long that I don't think – I think he is smart enough and aware enough of, like, the landscape that I don't think he's going to – put his son in a situation where he's going to be taken advantage of. That's like, I, I'm a little bit less worried about that than you are, but it definitely, the, the, the whole discussion is really interesting, and it's kind of something we haven't seen before.
0: Right. It's completely new. Um, Flam, any other final thoughts before we wrap up?
1: Not really. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just really enjoying the NBA season so far. I don't think, again, as, as we kind of discussed last week, I don't think there's been quite enough coverage just on basketball and um, just the game that's being played and the players that are having breakout seasons. Uh, And, yeah, I mean, I've just enjoyed it, not just the Clippers, but there have been tons of of fun teams to watch. The Suns have been shockingly entertaining. Uh, The Wizards have been, you know, incredible. Um, You know, Davis Bertans, another guy maybe on the Blazers? I don't know. That could be really interesting, watching him with Bane. Yeah, there have been just a lot of fun games, like, Bulls Clippers last night, perfect example of a game that, will anybody really remember it that far from now? No, but it was entertaining, and ultimately, you know, as I've mentioned again on here before, it is an entertainment product, and I think the product has mostly been really good this year. So I'm just excited to keep watching, but, yeah, no real no real other takes for from, from me. Sean, anything to promote?
2: Oh, uh, I had a story last week on Bleacher Report that was about how you know, you know about just basically about just how personally a lot of the players are taking uh, the conversation around Carmelo Anthony being back in the league. Obviously, I'm in Portland, and so I've been uh, covering you know, the the whole Mellow thing up close ever since they decided to sign him. Uh, and so I kind of talked to a bunch of different players about just like what they think Mellow's impact on the game is, and, and just kind of tried to get at the dynamic of how you know, when they signed him or, you know, even over the past year since he washed out in Houston, there's been a lot of analysts and media people and whoever else. And like, even like team, you know, front office and, uh, you know, league personnel saying, yeah, I don't know if there's really a place for Mello in the league, but then you ask any player and they're all like, oh, Mello's one of our favorite guys. He absolutely belongs in the league. Uh, and like it's disrespectful the way they treated him. So I had a piece on Bleacher Report that, uh, kind of got at all that stuff and talked to a bunch of different players about it that I was pretty happy with how it came out. And I've got some other stuff, you know, in the works for the coming weeks, so I guess just keep an eye on my Twitter account, which is at Hyken. And, you know, whenever I, whenever one of those pieces goes up, I have a few things kind of in varying stages of completion right now. That So I don't have exact dates for you, but I've got a couple of things coming up.
0: Nice. And, Flam, you mentioned that article you wrote about my Harcos on the Blazers. Uh, anything else that you got in the works
1: right now? Yet? Over the next couple weeks, I'm hoping to roll out a few end-of-decade stuff for the Clippers. Oh, nice. We already had one article on the site about, like, 10 best moments. Uh, I'm thinking I might do, like, you know, all Clippers teams of the past decade. That small forward list is going to be pretty barren. I mean, you could add (laughs) Kalei, but I don't know if that really counts too much considering they've played, like, you know, 28 games with the team so far. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to try to do... Some of that. Outside of that, I don't really have much cooking. Uh, you know, I'm out in Michigan, so I don't really get to cover the team <laughs> at all. But, uh, yeah, probably some of that. And uh, might be writing about my guy, Derek Walton Jr. I will be accused of homerism, uh, but I stand.
0: Yeah, he's been really great. We didn't actually talk about him at all on this podcast, which we should have. Uh, I tweet about him pretty frequently now that I'm a uh, film room guy on Twitter, which – not my thing, but I do it for the people. Um yeah, I, he's been really good, uh really playing really confident basketball right now, which is like the best thing, uh, because a lot of the other uh you know, secondary ball handlers on the team other than Lou Williams, uh, just don't look like very happy to be there when they're on the court. Um, he definitely has that uh gusto that he plays with which which is is uh Nice to, nice to see. He loves to see it. Um, I just came out with this new thing on uh, Real GM this week about Nikola Jokic, and it's turned into a motivational piece because he's been playing pretty well since it came out, uh, just about how his slow start and how people shouldn't freak out, and it's actually enjoyable to see you know, a big, lovable bear play his way into shape um, post-hibernation. Uh, and, yeah, you can always read my stuff uh, on Real GM. Uh, I also have this newsletter, Unstatable, that you've probably heard about. Uh, and you can follow me on Twitter at ThisLewis. Uh, Rob is on Twitter at RichHoneyFlam. Hiken again at Hiken. Um, really good stuff here today, guys. Uh, thanks, everyone. For, thanks, Sean, for coming on. And uh, see you after the next class. Go, go. Yeah, five, four, three. That's tomorrow,
1: and that is it. Be the franchise player, and we in here talking about practice.
0: I can't do it, man. How silly is that? We'll do it live.
1: Practice. We'll do it live. Practice. Do it live. i all write it, and we'll do it live. Not, a, not, a, not the game that I go out there and die for, and play every game like it's my last. Not the game. We're talking about That's tomorrow, and that is it for us
0: today. I'm Bill O'Reilly. Thanks again for watching. We'll leave you with sting and a cut off his new album. Take it away. I mean, how silly is that?